prayer. This morning we are focusing once again on the cross of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that at the moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple, sometimes called a veil, was torn in two. And uh, Matthew and Mark add the detail that it was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that seems kind of an odd detail to add to the story, doesn't it? Uh, and Luke and John don't mention the top to bottom, uh, but Luke does mention the uh, tearing of the curtain. But you kind of wonder, what's that all about, and why is it in there anyway? Well, in order to understand it, we have to go back to the most sacred day on the Israelite calendar. That day was called in Hebrew Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur which simply means the Day of Atonement. And it's described in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, I really wanted to have all of Leviticus 16 read this morning uh, so that we would really have that in our minds. And, but I decided not to do that, that we'd go with the reading from Hebrews 9, 1 to 15, which summarizes it. But I really want to encourage you to spend some time today with Leviticus 16. Sit down and read that and uh, think about it, about what's being said there. You know, Leviticus is not a book we read a lot of. And as a result, we miss a lot of important things. And chapter 16 is one of the most important things in the Bible because it explains so much about what we read later in the New Testament. But Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, originated just after the exodus from Egypt when God gave very detailed instructions to Moses for the construction of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was kind of an elaborate tent uh, and the, uh, the, the tent was a portable sanctuary. That's why, why it was a tent. So they could take it down and roll it up and take it with them in their travels through the wilderness, which you remember lasted 40 years. And so they were given detailed instructions about that. And, and this tabernacle was so important because it served as the focal point of Israelite worship. And it served as a representative of the place where God himself was in the midst of the people. And as they traveled about, the Ark of the Covenant that was contained in the tabernacle was always kept right in the center of the people. And when they camped, they always camped around the tabernacle. The symbolism being that God is in the middle. That's who we are. That's what we're about. We're the people who have God uh, in our midst. But this tabernacle had an outer courtyard and an inner courtyard. And understand that this is a, a, a courtyard created by constructing a tent. And that inner courtyard was called the holy place. And that's where the priests went and they offered sacrifices and burned incense and so forth. But then beyond that was a separate room, another tent. And it was called the holy of holies or the most holy place. And in there was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was the most sacred spot on earth, and it was separated from the holy place by this heavy curtain or veil. And later when Israel constructed a temple, this same setup uh, prevailed, and there was the most holy place, and then the heavy curtain, and then the holy place, and then the outer courtyard. But the writer of Hebrews is taking us back to the original. He's taking us back to the tabernacle. So we'll talk about the tabernacle uh, as well uh, today. But there was a special day in late September when Yom Kippur occurred. And that was the day for the taking away 
of all of Israel's sins. Now, every day, every day, the priests ministered in the holy place. They offered sacrifices. They burned incense. They did, did all the things that the priests do in that, in that section of the tabernacle. They never went into the most holy place. Only once a year did anybody go in there. And that was the high priest. And that was on the Day of Atonement. Otherwise, no one went into that sacred spot. It was simply too holy for anyone to enter. And when the priest went in, he had to do so very carefully, or he was told he would die. It was that serious. It was that kind of a setting. It was that holy. It was that awe-inspiring. If he didn't do exactly as instructed, he would die. So he would go into the holy place, and first of all, he'd burn some incense to create a cloud of smoke. The idea being that then he could not see the holiness of God. He couldn't see God's presence, lest he die. And then he would offer a sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people. He's not above the people. He's one of the people. And he's got to offer this sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And he also took some of the blood of that sacrifice and cleansed the Holy of Holies itself. Now think about this. This is the holiest spot on earth. But it had to be cleansed by the blood of a sacrifice. Because human sin contaminates everything. And once he had done that, Two goats were brought in. One of those goats was offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. The other goat would be brought before the high priest and he would lay his hands on its head, confess the sins of the people, and then that goat would be led out of the camp and would be driven off, off out into the wilderness, symbolically taking the sins of the people with it. So that not only was there a sacrifice for sins, but there was this visual representation of their sins being taken away, their sins being gone out into the wilderness. Finally, the high priest would put back on his priestly garments. You see, he'd been wearing a simple linen tunic because he did not dare come before God as though he were anything special. He just came as one of the people, another sinner, but at the end of it, he would put back on his priestly garments and he would offer a ram in sacrifice. That was the Day of Atonement, once a year. And it took place in the Holy of Holies. Well, what was the Day of Atonement all about? It was about God's holiness, first of all. As I mentioned, great care had to be taken how the high priest entered the Holy of Holies. He washed himself carefully. He dressed just as he was instructed. He offered the incense. He offered the sacrifices. He did everything exactly as he was told. Otherwise, he would suffer certain death. And so this is about the holiness of God. You see, all of this gives a sense of danger. And we think, well, that, that doesn't quite fit my notion of God to think about danger. Well, maybe you re need to rethink your notion of God. Because when sinners come into the presence of God, we're in danger. 
because he is so holy and we are not. And so this whole scene was designed to remind Israel of that. And the high priest was told, you don't approach God just any old way. You don't just come in and, and just do your thing uh, in any way that you want to because he's holy and we are not. I think that's a lesson we still need today. I think sometimes we get a little too casual about our relationship with God. I think sometimes we take a lot of things for granted. And we forget that this God who loved us so much that he gave his only son is the all-holy God. And when we are in his presence, we need to be aware of that. But can you imagine how Aaron must have felt, the first high priest, as he was about to set foot into the Holy of Holies? Can you imagine what he, the thoughts that went through his head as he knew that day was approaching? And he knew that it was going to, the burden was going to be on him to go in there. He was going to have the great privilege, yes, the high privilege of standing in the presence of God uh, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God on behalf of the people. What a wonderful privilege. And yet what a great responsibility. And how he must have thought and what he must have thought about as he thought about what he would do while he was in there and exactly how he would do it. And all the people would be outside while he was in there and they're just waiting breathlessly for one thing, to see if he comes out. Did he do what God told him to do? Has the, have the sacrifices been accepted? Are we okay with God once again? And as they waited they were impressed with how holy and awesome was their God. The Day of Atonement was about holiness. The Day of Atonement was also about removing sin. You see, the problem with sin is that it breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with God. The Day of Atonement was designed to bring about atonement. If you want to... Easy way to remember what that's about. Break it down differently. At one moment. We were separated from God by our sins, but through these sacrifices, they were able to achieve atonement. They were able to be at one with God again. You see, this was a gracious act on God's part. As sinful as people were, he provided a way for them to come back into his fellowship. And to have fellowship with him again. He opened that door for them. And that's what all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were about. The people were able to come back into relationship with God. In spite of the fact that they were, in reality, uh, great sinners. In Leviticus 16, and you'll see this as you read it. There are four different words in Hebrew for sin. Four different words. Because the emphasis is on that reality, that's what this day is about. It's about the removal of sin. But there's uh, the term uncleanness, transgression, iniquities, and sins. Uncleanness, transgression, iniquities, and sins. All of those things. As the people were asking God to take them away and restore their relationship with him. 
But you see, the point is something had to be done or else there was no way for them to have fellowship with God or be right with God. Sin could not simply be ignored. We don't get that sometimes. I've heard people say, why doesn't God just forget about sin? Why didn't he just act like it never happened? Why didn't he do like we do sometimes when we have a, uh, a, a some kind of eruption or disruption in relationship with somebody? We just say, okay, just forget it. Let's just go on. Why didn't God do that? Because God is holy. He is holy. And we are sinful, and sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be atoned for. It cannot simply be ignored. And that's what the Day of Atonement was about. But then the Day of Atonement was also about sacrifice. Have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament, as you read through the books of the law, why there was all that blood why all those goats and rams and little birds and different things were sacrificed. Why the blood sacrifices? Some people find that so repulsive that they say that, that had to be a holdover from some primitive form of religion. That can't really represent the real God because God is gracious and God loves all of his creatures. And so that, that can't even be right. That's got to be wrong. And there are folks even today, if you go into their churches, you'll find their hymnals and you'll find that there are no hymns in there that have any references to the blood. What can wash away my sins? And their text says, we don't know. <laughs> They're turned off by the idea of the blood. And they read about all that and they say, well, that's, that's gruesome. That's unpleasant. Yes, that's exactly the idea. The idea of all the blood sacrifices was simply this, to remind Israel over and over that sin brings death. Sin brings death. It always has. You go all the way back to the, to the garden and what were Adam and Eve told? In the day that you eat of it, what? You will die. You will die. Sin always brings death. And so all of those sacrifices and all that blood, yes, it was unpleasant. You know, we see the pictures in Sunday school of the priests ministering in the tabernacle or in the, in the uh, uh, temple. And they always have on these spotless looking garments, you know, and they're kind of going about looking all dignified. No. They were covered in blood much of the time. Because they were offering animal after animal after animal in sacrifice. And as gross as that sounds and as gross as it must have appeared to be. What a vivid reminder of what sin does. Sin leads to death. In the case of Israel also those animals were valuable. It cost them something to offer those animals, and not just any animals, but the best of their animals. It cost them something. And when we sin, we always lose something of value, too. And it, we can lose our souls, that which is of most value to us in all the world. Those animal deaths also were substitutionary. Those animals were dying so that the people who offered them didn't have to. Those animals were dying to pay the price to the reminding that sin brings death. But that somebody had to die. Somebody had to pay the price. 
No wonder Yom Kippur was such a solemn occasion because it so vividly portrayed the holiness of God. It so gruesomely portrayed the reality of sin and the high cost of removing it. The Day of Atonement was a holy day. It was not a holiday. It was a holy day. Now, when we get to the New Testament, it tells us that the Day of Atonement was really about something that's not mentioned in Leviticus 16. That the Day of Atonement was really about Jesus. The Day of Atonement was something that was looking forward to what was going to happen later when Jesus came, especially his death on the cross. And so when we read Hebrews 9, as you heard a few minutes ago, all the elements, all the elements of the Day of Atonement are pointing forward to Jesus. They're all pointing forward to Jesus. The Day of Atonement was actually only a foreshadowing of the real thing that was coming with the Atonement because the Atonement brought about by the Day of Atonement was incomplete. That's what Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10 both just emphasize over and over. They were incomplete. Look at verses 8 and 9 in Hebrews 9. There emphasizes two problems with the Day of Atonement. Number one, verse 8, referring to the fact that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and he only once a year. The writer says, by this... The Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open. It didn't matter how many years went by and how many times the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. The, day, the way was not yet open. The job had never been done because only he could go in there and nobody else could go in there. And so there was still that barrier between the presence of God and the people. And the Day of Atonement could do nothing about that. And then verse 9, the other problem with it, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. They cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They cannot touch you or me spiritually. They cannot touch us inside they're external. They just don't ever get the job done, no matter how many of them are offered. It never happened. But look at verse 11. These great words, but when Christ appeared. But when Christ appeared. When Christ appeared, all of that changed. By his death on the cross, he changed everything. That which was only foreshadowed by the Day of Atonement finally came to full realization. He is now our great and perfect high priest. And the writer goes into great detail elsewhere in, in his book, telling us in Hebrews that he's not like those priests who were so many in number because they kept dying. And they had to have successors. I looked it up one time, and I think I found that there were some 86 high priests throughout the history of the people of Israel. Because they just kept dying off. They were just mortal. But the writer says, but he holds his priesthood forever. 
because he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's what priests do. They make intercessions between God and people, and he's always alive to make intercessions for us. He is living today to make intercession for you and for me. He is our perfect high priest, and he did not enter an earthly sanctuary. He entered heaven itself. No tent, no tabernacle, no building, no room, but heaven itself, the very presence of God And when he went in there, the blood that he offered was not the blood of bulls and goats, which cannot touch the conscience of the worshiper or take away sins. He took his own blood. Don't miss that image, folks. Jesus is both our high priest and our sacrifice. He's sacrificing himself. And he died in our place. And the effects of what he did on the cross are entirely different from what happened in the Day of Atonement. The writer says, once for all, he offered himself. It's one of his favorite expressions in the book of Hebrews. Once for all, he finally got it done. The job is finally finished. It never can be repeated. It never needs to be repeated. And not just for Israel, but for all people of all times, including today. We've got a hymn in our books. I thought about having it sung this morning, but there were just so many great ones. His grace reaches me. His grace reaches me and will last through eternity. His grace reaches even down to you and to me. No matter what our sins might be, His grace reaches us because he died once for all in hebrews 9 verse 15 he says therefore he's the mediator of a new covenant he's created an entirely new system here a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant you ever heard somebody ask, well, what happened to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those people? If they lived and died before Jesus came and his death on the cross, they're covered by the blood of Christ. That's what Hebrews 9.15 says. It says that the blood of Jesus flows backward and forward. It goes back to cover those who were faithful to God under that first covenant, as well as to those who for all time will be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the second covenant. His grace reaches not just me, His grace reaches them. And they are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, just as you and I are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And our sins are completely and actually taken away, the writer says, not just symbolically taken away. Notice in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 14, when he says, how much more? If the blood of bulls and goats is effective for even this temporary removal of sin, how much more with the blood of Jesus bring about the complete and eternal removal of sin? What a wonderful thought that our sins are taken completely away, not just symbolically. I mentioned that in the Day of Atonement, they, the ceremony, they brought in the two goats and the one was sacrificed and the other one had... The priest's hands laid on it, confessed the sins of the people, and they took it out, and he escaped into the wilderness. That's the origin of our term scapegoat, in case you didn't know it. That's the goat that escaped. 
That's a goat that got away. But you see, that was symbolic. People's sins weren't really on the head of that goat. That goat running off out in the wilderness, that didn't cleanse anybody. That was a symbol. But when Jesus died on the cross, what was symbolized by the scapegoat, what was symbolized by the goat that was sacrificed, what was symbolized by the blood of that ram, what was symbolized by all of this is brought to reality. So that we are redeemed from our sins and that the blood of Christ has done what they could never do. And so he says in Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 18 that our sins are remembered no more at all. They are not remembered. That doesn't mean God's blotted them out as far as consciousness. It just means he doesn't hold them against us. He doesn't hold them against us. He doesn't remember those things against us anymore at all. And he says there is no longer any offering for sin because there is none needed. So you have the perfect sacrifice offered by the perfect high priest. Offered in the perfect sanctuary for our sins. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, access to God finally, finally. Is accomplished. That's what the tearing of the curtain was about. It says the way is open. God has opened the door and invites us into his presence. But I want to tell you something even better than that. Not only does he invite us into his presence, he offers to come into us. When the gospel of Jesus was preached for the first time in the book of Acts, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, and Peter stood before that whole crowd, some of whom had been involved in the death of Jesus. And he said to them, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the people cried out, What do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we emphasize the first part of that and not enough on the, on the, the last part of it. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. What a wonderful thing. That's what is accomplished by the death of Jesus. But also you'll receive the gift of God's Spirit within you. God's Spirit living within us. Can you imagine that? Before there was a veil saying, you can't come in here. Now God says, I will come into you and dwell with you forever. To some Christians in Corinth who hadn't gotten rid of their immoral ways, Paul wrote, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is a temple of the Spirit of God. A temple of the Spirit of God. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Access is finally and fully granted. There are no more obstacles between us and him. Except this one. 
And the one obstacle is our unwillingness to enter in and receive what God is offering. That's the only thing that keeps anybody on earth today from having access to God. The unwillingness to receive the gift that he offers through his son. He has opened the door. It's up to you to walk in. That's what conversion is all about. Conversion is about repenting of our sins. Conversion is about confessing Christ as our Savior and as God's Son. Confession, uh, conversion is about being baptized into union with Jesus so that our sins are taken away by his sacrifice and the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And nobody can decide to do that for you. You have to decide it for yourself. It seems to me that on the Day of Atonement, it must have been a very, very solemn day. And yet at the same time, there had to be a lot of joy in the hearts of the people. Knowing that God had found a way to admit them into his presence and back into fellowship with him. And every time we think about the death of Jesus on the cross, I think we should have that same blend. I think we should be solemnly sorrowful that Jesus had to die for our sins. That we are so weak and helpless that it took his death to take them away. But deeply joyful that God made a way. God has made that way for you. It's up to you to walk through the door. If you're ready to do it now, come and tell us while we stand and sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the